Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Listen. Normally I like to be right, but I might not love to say I told you so. The words taste overripe to come out of my mouth and make me choke. It's like a bad joke to perceive the irony of people in designer clothes on their iPhones posting selfies. So please, you've got to come help me. I'm broken. The grocery stores are empty. This topic's heavy. All right, Corey. Ready for a game? Ooh, let's play. I don't know if it's <laughs> really a game, but I think we're going to have fun. All right. I'm down for it. I have a collection of articles from this week. I'm going to read you the title, and you tell me whether you want to dive into it or not. Just based on the title alone? Yeah. Okay. All right. Here's the first one. Biden condemns assault on democracy in Brazil as Democrats compare riots to January 6th. Give me the, uh, give me the 22nd version. Well, frankly, there's not a ton to it other than the fact that Brazil has had these really intense riots on the Capitol, similar to what happened here in the U.S., and it kind of makes you wonder, would that have happened anyways, or did the U.S. set a precedent for it? Well, and from what I understand, it was the same sort of organizers behind it. Uh, Steve Bannon, for example, I know, was sort of the organizer behind Jan 6, and he also had to do with this one as well. I don't understand completely the capacity, but there was definitely some parallels, especially in how effective they ended up being. Well, if you'll remember... At one point, we had an episode about deforestation, and we talked a lot about what was happening with the Amazon rainforest and the way that deforestation has accelerated to an extreme degree in the Amazon. And much of that was during uh, the presidency of Bolsonaro. I didn't know a whole lot about Bolsonaro before that. I learned more about him during that research. From the little bit that I learned, he seems to be very similar in character to Donald Trump. 
But apparently he's currently hidden away in Florida. He was until he had to go back to the hospital in Brazil again. He was stabbed a while back and he has all these issues with uh, his bowels because of that stabbing. And apparently, from what I read, like yesterday, he ended up going back because uh, he had more complications from that. So do you think this is just going to continue to happen in more and more countries, even developed countries where people are very polarized and those that are upset about the way that an election goes are going to try to take matters into their own hands? Or is this just kind of like too, I guess you wouldn't call it a one-off scenario if it's happened twice, but two outliers? Yeah, I mean, coup attempts aren't anything new, right? But this flavor of coup attempt where it's like we make a rush on the Capitol with a whole bunch of people and then we just kind of walk through the halls and party, you know, I, that's not to downplay Jan 6. There were, there were deaths, right, that resulted from that. It was, it was serious. But as far as like a coup goes, it was unsuccessful. In the future, I'm sure it feels like, you know, democracy has been an experiment but it requires trust in your government. And when that trust erodes and trust in the electoral system starts to erode, it, it seems like, yeah, that's, this is going to be a much more common thing, at least if if not rushing the capital, but just the polarization and the refusal to accept the results. All right, next headline. Seattle schools sue big tech over youth mental health crisis. Okay, so I just want to know from your, we won't go into this one deep because I know we have a lot. Did you feel like from reading that article that they were doing this for show? Because listening to that headline, hearing that a school district is suing big tech, like what does that even mean? Is it for show or are they actually trying to accomplish something besides just raise awareness of an issue? Well, from my understanding of how things typically go in the legal system, whoever has more money to fight the legal battle is probably going to win. And they're going up against like Meta and Alphabet, and ByteDance, Snap, like all of the the biggest players in the tech industry. And they're claiming like, hey, anxiety, depression, all these other psychological issues are being caused by social media. And it's making it difficult for us to fulfill our mission as a, as a school system. We can't, we don't, we don't have the staff to support all of the mental health issues. And we can't educate these kids the way that we should be able to. I think they make a compelling point, but I just don't think that there's any hope that they would actually win or get anything from this. Yeah, it's like they're not wrong, but it doesn't mean that they're going to win the legal battle. It's much like us in this podcast, you and me thinking that we could do something to actually make a positive change or stop collapse, right? Yeah, and if... Like the off chance if they were to somehow win a case like this, couldn't everybody come after these big tech companies? Every organization, every company could say, hey, my employees are emotionally, psychologically damaged by social media. So we want some sort of a payout. Like every religious organization, every entity out there, Every individual could claim like you're doing damage because of your platform. And so now you owe me something. So are they suing for money or are they suing for change? You know, are they trying to get things shut down or are they actually saying like you need to pay us millions of dollars? 
Well, I'll read this part from the article. It says, in Friday's suit, Seattle School District Number 1 is asking a judge to find that the companies have created a public nuisance and to order remedies including monetary damages and funding to prevent and treat excessive use of social media. So yeah, they are looking for money from this. Um, And they're pointing specifically to an increase in suicides and like emergency room visits because of mental health challenges from their students. Very interesting. Next. Okay. Over 7,000 New York City nurses on strike after failed contract negotiations. So from what I understand, this one was resolved today. Today being the day we recorded it. Tell me more. I just saw a headline. I did not read it that said that the strike came to an end, that there was an agreement made. That was all I saw. What was the strike over? The same thing that you typically see from sort of some sort of a strike from workers. Um, in this case, better pay, safer conditions, increased staffing. Got it. Which makes sense. We, you know, we talk about the healthcare system and how badly all of those things are needed, how much nurses and other healthcare workers are burning out. And it, it feels like as time goes on, we just get closer and closer to a collapse of the healthcare system with every new disease, every increase in COVID variants, whatever it might be. So it's good to see that nurses had a victory in this one. We may need to do some more research just to see exactly what they were able to achieve. And on this, I'll just state that I saw a post from a physician and she was comparing what she anticipates will happen to what happened recently with Southwest Airlines. Oh, wow. Like things totally fell apart. Yeah. And she was saying, yeah, but except it's different because when this happens in the healthcare system, it's not just going to be that people can't travel home to see their family for the holidays. People will be dying and it will take years to put it all back together. Yeah, it's so interesting because we're seeing these collapses happen even if it's temporarily in all sorts of different types of infrastructure and it feels like a parallel of how collapse overall will be right a lot of mini collapses or collapses of different areas of society eventually leading to a collapse of the society Um, an example you just brought up was southwest airlines but even just all airlines in the U.S. A couple of days ago, I woke up to a CNN notification saying that all flights were grounded for a few hours just because of one bad code or something that made it so that uh, pilot like pre-flight safety checks weren't being done correctly. And that shut everything down. So you had to think about um, this post you're talking about and her saying this is going to have an effect not just for a moment but lingering effects that will result in deaths for a long time. That's frightening. All right. I think you're going to find this next headline very interesting. Okay. Poop may save humanity from near extinction, scientists say. You know, I always thought it would be poop. (laughs) We should have a series of episodes, not can technology save us, but can poop save us? Can poop save us? If anything can save us in the end, it would be our own excrement. Uh, Yeah. Just maybe, I don't want to hear a lot about it, but just tell me what that even means. Well, we have certain microbes in our gut that help us absorb nutrients and fight off infections. And apparently those microbes have been altered significantly because of our modern environment and all the ways that we're processing foods. And so a group of scientists 
are collecting samples. They have collected 3,000 samples, but their goal is to collect 100,000 samples from various lifestyles and backgrounds to help re-diversify the microbes. From, sorry, from various backgrounds and lifestyles? <laughs> yes. I just want to see that Excel sheet where they have like 100,000 different backgrounds and lifestyles and they need a poop for each one. <laughs> well, what's interesting is they're storing these at negative 112 degrees Fahrenheit. And the plan is that as the microbes in our gut continue to deteriorate, they will be able to go kind of recover healthy microbes from the past to reinsert into our gut. This whole thing just makes me feel so uneasy. <laughs> Next. You sure you don't want to spend more time on that one? No, that's fine. We can move on. All right. Here's another interesting one. Man, oh so, so many interesting things this week. Oh, boy. The biggest loser, Elon Musk, sets new Guinness World Record for losing the most money. I saw this one, and the picture of him on the article just made me chuckle because it was so weird. Yeah, I'm not always sure how they select the images for the articles, but I think you'll, maybe you can describe what you saw. He's just wearing a really weird outfit and he looks a little constipated. You're thinking about poop again, aren't you? Yeah, you've got, you got it on my mind. $116 billion were lost. Where did it go? Well, when we talk about these multi-billionaires, you know, it's not like they have all that money just sitting there in cash in a bank account. You're telling me that there's not a suitcase somewhere with $116 billion in it for <laughs> one of us to go try and find? That would have to be a very large suitcase. Major bummer. Not if it had like billion dollar bills, million dollar bills. Speaking of that, there is talk of minting a $1 trillion coin in the U.S. Why? <laughs> like... For the government to spend <laughs> in a year or whatever. Yeah, it has to do with solutions they're looking for uh, with our increasing debt crisis, which we're going to be talking about in an upcoming episode. Absolutely. Anyways, you know, all of this Twitter chaos, we've talked about that at length in the past. That's a big part of it. Tesla. Yes, and Tesla is pretty much in free fall. Lovely. Uh, which is scary if you're a Tesla owner seeing as how the company, you know, the cars run off of software that have to be continually updated. If there's no Tesla, Tesla company, Tesla cars, as far as I understand, would not operate. And But I mean, that's kind of the car of the future, right? I think most cars are going to be running off of software. And if it's not kept up to date, then entire, you know, fleets of vehicles on the road could fail to run, which is a scary liability to have. Well, one thing I'll say is that if you or I lost like half of our savings, it would be significantly life-changing. For sure. For Elon Musk to go from, what did he have? 240, 280 billion? Something like that. Yeah. To lose, what did you say? 116 billion? Doesn't really change anything about his day-to-day. -day. Yeah. Do you think he's like super distraught over it? Or is he, I mean, he just seems so flippant about everything. Is he just kind of like, meh? Which, I mean, like you just said, you know, the thought of losing $116 billion sounds awful, but at the same time, you still have like $150 billion, so all's well, right? Well, it's interesting. I'll just say that I was with a group of friends the other day talking about Elon Musk because somebody raised the question, 
like, what's your opinion of Elon? And it started this discussion. And it's interesting because the public perception of him has changed dramatically. Oh, yeah. I remember just like a year ago, I was seeing articles nonstop. He was everywhere and everyone was talking about what a brilliant genius he is and all the contributions he's made helping advance the human race. And now I'm just seeing tons of stuff about him again, but it's all very negative. And some people in this conversation that I was having who like Elon were like, that's not fair to him and all the things that he's accomplished and like the same things that people like about him before are are still true about him today. There's just been kind of some crazy stuff that has happened. I don't know that I have a strong opinion one way or another, although he's, he's not probably that distraught about the amount of money itself to him, you know, somebody who is a brilliant mind, but likely very narcissistic to have the whole world kind of turn against you. I imagine that's having an effect on his psyche. Poor billionaire. Um, you know, it's funny cause I used to not really know if I should care for Elon Musk or not. And I'm talking like, you know, in the past several years, it's been like he's running these companies like you know, it was just I was just kind of neutral. But like you said, the, these last few months have just completely changed that. It, it's just so clear and obvious to me that he's just very unstable and kind of weak. And it's interesting to think about what the difference is between somebody who can become a billionaire and not there. You know, we're all just human. Um, like you said, he's just probably very narcissistic and started off with a lot of money and found a way to duplicate that, you know, and now he's, he's suffering for it, which my guess is that most billionaires at some point go through that type of thing. Because if you've made your whole life about money, just to find out that that much money doesn't make you happier, you know, like that's got to cause some sort of weird crisis in your mind. Well, one thing that people have respected a lot about Elon Musk is that he doesn't seem to care for money the way that many others do. He's had history of, you know, making a ton of money and then just throwing it all toward some new project. He's fine with risking it all and and losing it and finding ways to regain it. People like that he seems to be very mission focused. People also seem to like that he's just genuine. Like he doesn't really have a filter. He just says whatever he's thinking. He's not too worried about being politically correct, which I, I mean, there's aspects of that that I like. For me, I'm on the fence. I, I, I don't think he's a good like person, but in terms of do I hate him or love him, I don't feel either one toward him. Well, I've grown to disdain him, but you know, next. All right. Here's the next one with a changing climate. Buckle up. Extreme weather caused over 165 billion of damage in 2022, NOAA says. That's even more than Elon Musk lost. Oh, the, you mean the American people, the taxpayers all together, all 300 million of us lost more than Elon Musk by himself lost. <laughs> and it hurt us all uh, probably a lot worse than it did him. Do you think that 2023 will break that number will be above it frankly yes we talked about going from a la nina year to el nino i mean none of us can know for sure but that actually relates to another title of an article that i'll read for you right now 
The world rapidly warming. The past eight years were the eight warmest on record for planet. Yeah, if we're headed into an El Nino, then obviously 2023 and 2024 are going to have some surprises in store weather-wise. It's, you know, we don't know if this is going to be a strong El Nino or a weak or moderate El Nino. But considering the types of weather events that we have been getting in La Nina's, I think it is safe to assume that things are going to be pretty wild in places around the world. You know, on that note, specifically, we've started off 2023 already with a billion dollar plus disaster. We're only uh, 12 days in at the time of this recording, and that's in California with this flood. They're talking about this as being like sort of whiplash weather, right? We're going from mega drought to mega flooding, and then we'll probably go back to drought in the summer. 20 plus deaths there. Um, they say it's at least a billion dollars in damage. You've seen videos of roadways, of houses, of agricultural fields completely flooded. And it was wild because, they, I mean, there was, what, two plus weeks of rain. There might have been 12 hours or maybe up to a day's break in between until the next rainstorm came. And those rainstorms were dropping a foot or more of rain at a time, which I think about the amount of rain, you know, that we get here locally. If it rains two or three inches, there is lots of standing water. There is flooding, you know, in certain parts. So to think of a foot is just wild to me. I was watching the numbers on some of the dams and the reservoirs in California shoot up. Uh, Oroville is going to recover so much of what has been lost, uh, Lake Shasta. And that that is a great thing for California, right? They desperately needed the rain. We've talked about how dire the drought situation there was and still is, but this is going to help alleviate it at least for a short time. It's not fixing all of the drought problems in the West, but it will be interesting to see what comes this next summer drought-wise and how quickly, you know, we revert back to sort of the, the mega drought conversation. But all that's to say, like this weather event in California, to me, if it had continued, we would be getting pretty close to an arc storm conversation, right? We didn't quite hit that. Or we don't know what's yet to come. They still have a few more days, but then they're supposed to dry out a little bit later in the week. We'll see. But if, if it basically what had happened from Christmas time until now happened again from now until early February, I really do think we'd be looking at millions of people displaced due to the amount of flooding. And it makes me think of, well, what happens when that type of rain comes a couple years in a row? You know, right now, because the reservoirs are so empty, they have room to fill up before flooding over and before flooding rivers, at least large rivers like the Sacramento. But when those, uh, if over time, you know, this year and next year they fill up and then we get another year like this year, there's no way of knowing whether or not the infrastructure is going to be able to handle something like that. And then if you, on top of that, you get something that lasts longer, like an arc storm event, it's just going to be absolutely devastating. You know, when we did our episode on arc storm, it seemed like such a fictional thing, like or something that was so unlikely right? Maybe more likely than a meteor striking, but still something that it's like, this probably won't happen for a long, long time. And there were moments during this crisis, like you said, it's not over yet, where I was thinking like, whoa, we're approaching arc storm. Like this is, this is something that could really happen. 
And I think it's opened a lot of people's eyes. These atmospheric rivers can do so much damage in such a relatively short amount of time. And the way this has been set up that it's just been storm after storm after storm after storm. I think we're going to see a lot more of that term that you used, whiplash, like weather whiplash. We've talked about global weirding, but we haven't really dug deep on on that whiplash scenario where you go from one extreme to another within the same regional area. And unfortunately, I feel like as that whiplash continues, it's giving climate deniers stuff to talk about. On Twitter, it was just nonstop people saying, oh, the mainstream media just calls any storm now an atmospheric river, like just to make it scarier and, and to frighten us all into paying taxpayer money towards climate change mitigation. You know, I saw that a lot. You know, others kept saying, guys, it's just rain. That's what California does. It's a drought and then it's a rain. This has nothing to do with climate change. And in part, that's correct. Like, yes, California and other parts have cyclical, these weather patterns that happen, but that does not in any way mean that it's not being exacerbated uh, by climate change and that that whiplash isn't becoming more exaggerated and perhaps more dramatic and frequent. So the narrative there is is frustrating and I feel that it's going to become more so. And it feels so ignorant because it's, it's somebody just taking, it's kind of cherry picking one thing, right? It's like taking a, an inch from a massive painting and saying, oh, I understand the full picture. Sure. But on that same note, here's another article headline. Terrifying prospect. Utah's Great Salt Lake could disappear in five years without drastic water conservation. Yeah, this one's getting a lot of mainstream media attention now. It's becoming a larger conversation. We've mentioned it here once or twice. But this new number, uh, five years, is how much the Great Salt Lake has left in it at current rates, right? And it's not just about water running out and not being able to give water to people in the Salt Lake Valley. It's also about the toxic dust left behind. Basically, all the minerals, the metals that have settled at the bottom on the lake bed, as that dries up, Winds blow through, knock that dust up, and make Utah an unhealthy place to live. It becomes a health hazard. And I think I heard they were calling some sort of emergency session to talk about funding and and different ways to conserve. And it came down to, from what I read, that the main takeaway is that Utah is going to have to find ways to conserve. Beyond conservation efforts, they don't really feel like there are many solutions to keeping the lake full. And it's interesting, one thing that the article states is, while the lake has lost about 26 million acre-feet of water, twice that amount may have been lost from declining water levels in aquifers around the lake. These empty aquifers could slow the rate of rebound after runoff is increased. So the Great Salt Lake, it's a really easy thing to observe, right? Like half the lake bed has been exposed. 2022, it hit its lowest levels, but... There's a lot more going on than just the lake itself. And, you know, Utah is in trouble. It's another one of those things where I've seen climate deniers saying this has nothing to do with climate change. It has everything to do with the fact that people are moving into Utah, that they're building homes in a desert, that more people are just sucking the water out of the lake. And again, there's a grain of truth in that, right? 
that that is true. There are too many people crowding areas that are not meant to have lawns and golf courses and businesses and all of these things. But at the same time, our drought, which is not allowing for a resupplying of the water, is exacerbated by climate change. All right. Well, for sake of time, let's hurry and jump to the last uh, headline here. India set to overtake China as world's most populous country in next three months, UN report. Okay, now that one blows me away because I was under the impression that China was still quite a bit ahead. I haven't looked at the numbers in a while, but to me it was always like, you know, there was seemingly like a few hundred million difference. But uh, it sounds like you're saying within three months, India will be the largest country in the world population-wise. What are the implications of that? Or, or I guess, what was the main point of the article? Well, one of the implications is stated this way. But uh, Here's a quote from the article from Dr. Audrey Trushk. It says, most people think India's economy is still a fraction of what it could be in the future, which means there's so much promise. Also, it states in the article that about one in four of the 1.41 billion people in India are under the age of 15, and nearly half the population is under 25. So obviously, that has so many implications. What does that do to the power dynamic between nations? What does that do to the economy? What does that do to resources? We've talked about the interplay between overpopulation and overconsumption. I mean... The way that the the future plays out is in large part going to be a result of the human beings that are creating that future. And so to me, this has, I mean, we could, we could have a full episode on this. Yeah, and maybe we should. It's fascinating to think about the impacts of a developing nation that's, what, like 18% of the global population. That quote you just read saying that India's economy is expected to grow by so much. That to me sounds like a whole lot of explosion in consumption, in energy usage, and often in developing nations that energy that's being used is not going to be clean energy. So it will be interesting to do some exploring into, you know, how much of that is expected to be fossil fuels and how much of that is expected to be clean energy. You know, from a humanitarian standpoint, you want everybody to have great standards of living and quality of life. From a collapse standpoint, it's scary to think about all of that growth and what that means for reaching the peak of our resources. Well, thanks for playing along, Corey. I feel like you didn't really ever say no. Let's not dig into that article. Every single one of them was intriguing. I, I told myself before, I said, I'm going to say no to one of these. And then I just couldn't. Everything was so pertinent. <laughs> well, it's hard to imagine a world more dystopian. I mean, I guess all of these things could be much more severe and we anticipate they will be. But to think all of these things that are happening all at once and we see this week after week, every time we do one of these bonus episodes, it, it feels like we're just spinning out of control.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.